This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Bookmark. I'm Uma Pagan Ampike Pagan. In September, the novelist Lionel Shriver caused quite a stir in the literary world when she delivered her now notorious speech about cultural appropriation at the Brisbane Writers' Festival. In her speech, she argued that censorious identity politics are potentially suffocating to literary inspiration, since authors fear that creating characters from marginalised backgrounds will invite charges of cultural pillaging. Shriver described, and I quote, a climate of supersensitivity giving rise to proliferating prohibitions supposedly in the interest of social justice that constrain fiction writers and prospectively makes our work impossible. End quote. She delivered these remarks while wearing a sombrero. The outrage to Shriver's speech was immediate and far-reaching, and while Shriver, for the most, has stayed out of the ensuing conversation, I was curious as to whether or not she'd come across any arguments since, either for or against, that she has found particularly convincing. I was curious whether there was anything that had changed her mind. You you know, I, I have conversations with people all over the world that I find utterly compelling, but I have to confess to you that... I have never had an argument to do with the speech I gave in Brisbane. That you enjoyed? (laughs) No. I have found them universally annoying. (laughs) And I have to say, I'm a little, um, I feel a little guilty on, on, and it's not because I said anything in Brisbane that I don't believe, uh, but I worry that in decrying a... um, a concept that I think has very little merit, I have helped to perpetuate it. And that is something that I couldn't have anticipated. I gave two speeches in Australia when I was in tour in September. And uh, it was the one in Melbourne that I expected to be especially controversial and that I was worried about because it had to do with gender. And you know how touchy that issue has become. Um, Whereas I thought that the speech in Brisbane about cultural appropriation would uh, would be, if anything, a little boring because I felt the point I was making was pretty self-evident that uh, fiction writers have to be able to write from the perspective of people different from themselves or their work is going to have a basically uh, only people just like them in it and that's not in anybody's interest. I, I just that just seems so um, obviously true that that I worried about um, I worried about the audience walking out because they were bored. How much of the reaction had to do with their not or with you not being able to have a civil discourse because of the rage and the name calling that eventually follows something like this on the internet, on Twitter, on Facebook, everywhere. Well, I, I confess that I missed most of the rage and vitriol. Which is a good thing. I do not participate in social media, and this is one of the reasons. Um, I'm as uh, vulnerable as the next person to, you know, walking, grumbling down the street, talking to myself, you know, having, having you know, those mental arguments in my head. I just, uh, I don't want to waste all that energy. So... I realize there's been a big foo-for-all, and I've ignored most of it. And um, it has, this whole thing has inspired me to continue to boycott social media 
uh, out of sheer self-interest and self-preservation. What little I have encountered, uh, there has been a huge amount of projection of positions that I never advocated on me. And I, I don't understand that. I mean, well, I do understand that. That's, the, that's, that's actually the problem with the form of social media is that it, it snowballs and um, people don't go back to original sources. So it doesn't matter what you actually said. Uh, it matters what people say you said. And that continues to transform. So what presumably you said keeps getting repeated. It's a game of telephone. Right, and nobody goes back and sees, says sees what what you actually said. So uh, it, it's it's a game you can't win, and um, the only protection is is to say what you've got to say in your original form and stop participating. I'm speaking today to Lionel Shriver. Hi, my name is Lionel Shriver. I'm a novelist, and my most recent book is The Mandibles, 2029 to 2047. Here we are at the 2016 edition of the Singapore Writers' Festival, huddled in a quiet corner in the National Gallery, three days after the election of Donald Trump, talking about her book, The Mandibles, in which Shriver asks the question, what if the United States of America collapsed? How very prescient. I I was a big fan of the book. And of course, given how the world has gone mad over the last week, there are so many bits of the book that are incredibly precious. Well, I feel as if um, history is getting ahead of me. In 2029, my my America falls apart, but it turns out it's happening 13 years early. In a world with God Emperor Trump, what is the role of the fiction writer? Uh, This is a situation where reality is trumping, if you will, fiction. Um, A fictionalized uh, version of this election would seem utterly implausible. It would seem overdone. Um, And it would seem uh, uh, condescending toward the American electorate, uh, uh, insulting even. I I don't think Trump would work as a fictional character. I think he would seem too um, clumsy, overdone, exaggerated, and too stupid. Everything I've read in the Borowitz Report and The Onion feel like things he would really say. Oh, it's one of the problems that has faced uh, the comics during this election. He's impossible to make fun of because he does all, all your work for you. There is no role for a comic to play. You can't make fun of him. He, he's already a parody. How do you par- parody a parody? So, so what happens then? What is, what, is, what is your role? Does it become harder? Yeah, I think it does make, I think it makes fiction harder. Um, and it's too soon to know what to do with this material. It was the only moment of consolation that I had. Uh, it was Wednesday morning here or Wednesday afternoon when the final results came in. It was Wednesday afternoon. That's right. And um, it was the only bit of consolation I had thinking we're going to have some great satire over the next four years and we're probably going to have some pretty good material for fiction and comic books. I guess books. I'm saying I don't think it is good material. Oh, really? Why is yeah, that? Yeah, for the, exactly what, for, for the reasons I'm saying. He's, he's beyond satire. And, um, and also there's something going on that's just profoundly not funny. Some of the policies that he's proposed, which I do not believe that he's going to be able to enact, if nothing else, a number of things that, that um, he want, claims that he wants to do are unconstitutional. I don't, I don't think we should completely panic, but there is an ugly underbelly to this election, 
and it isn't it it isn't humorous it is truly frightening and concerning and in that i write work that i it's it's serious okay but i i like to crack a lot of jokes along the way and and i don't think this is a jokey time one of the lines of conversation that's happening right now of course is that oh well you know he's not going to be able to do all of that stuff he's not going to be able to do all of that stuff so you've got nothing really to worry about it's a big old reset switch give him a chance and i'm thinking winning an election doesn't mean it's a reset switch you've said all of these things and words are important and we can't just ignore all of these words i think democrats are trying to um keep from freaking out and i think that's that's sound that's a good idea uh it doesn't help anyone to get hysterical and it's not helpful for the country to say oh you know this is the end of the world this is the end of the united states um california should secede you know that <laughs> movement i read that um let's all move to canada no you won't uh i think uh calm heads should prevail let's see what happens let's see what he truly proposes he's not even president yet and he's already taking back uh the idea of completely dismantling uh, obamacare dismantling uh, uh, obamacare i think that he has very few real convictions uh i think he just throws stuff out there and sees what sticks i think you know i'm going to take that back i think he has no convictions aside from how great he is that's a kind of protection between that and the fact that i consider him a profoundly lazy person that i think there are going to be a, nu- a number of things that he has said he'd like to do that he's just not going to end up bothering with don't use clean water to wash your hands intended as a gentle reminder the admonishment came out shrill Florence didn't want to seem like what her son would call a boomer poop. But still, the rules of the household were simple. Esteban consistently flouted them. There were ways of establishing that you weren't under any somewhat older woman's thumb without wasting water. He was such a cripplingly handsome man that she'd let him get away with almost anything else. "Forgive me, father, for I have sinned," Esteban muttered. dipping his hands into the plastic tub in the sink that caught runoff shreds of cabbage floated around the rim that doesn't make sense does it florence said when you've already used the for a lot of people out here we probably think we don't have any skin in the game and we feel like armchair commentators when it comes mm-hmm. to american politics but i think we do have a lot of skin in the game i think that's why a book like the mandibles is So economically you do Econ- exactly and i think that's why it's uh, what did npr call your book i think it was economic apocalypse fiction mm-hmm. and and i think that's precisely why we ask in the game and i think it's precisely why your book appeals to us and it's so accessible to us because the characters we encounter whether it's a rich patriarch who's how old is he 90 years old and playing tennis 97 yeah 97 yeah. years old and playing tennis it's it's characters we come that's across that's me fantasizing on my own so I want to be playing tennis at 97 <laughs> but no but the characters we come across in hong kong the hong kong rich people malaysians singaporeans it's people we immediately identify with and the only difference is that america holds sway well the only thing that i would uh, admit 
that is unrealistic in this novel is that I have the U.S. collapse economically and it doesn't take the rest of the world with it. Correct. And I, um, I did that for fictional reasons. That is, I wasn't up for writing about the collapse of the entire world. How do you even contain that? Yeah, I mean, how would you, how would you do that? Uh, I wasn't sure I was a good enough writer. To, to write that, and I wanted to, to, to tell a story on a, on a somewhat smaller scale. Now, the collapse of the United States is bad enough, uh, but I, I, I have to say that, that uh, because of all that interrelatedness you're talking about, that my, big, my greater real-world fear is not that just the economy of the U.S. will implode, especially from... Uh, 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 the amount of, of debt we're piling up that we will never pay back. Um, but that given the complexity of the international monetary system now and the way that we're all related, interrelated and that, that banks, the same banks are everywhere, uh, I'm afraid we're all going to go down together. How much research and time did you have to spend before you found yourself confidently being able to write about the collapse of the U.S. financial system? Um, I read a stack of books, and, um, you know, I have a limited nonfiction appetite. I'm, I'm a total baby. I like to read novels. I like stories. Um, so there was only so tall that stack was going to get before I got itching to write my book. And I could have, you know, the economics is a big field. There are lots of books out there. I could still be reading up. And, and and getting more confident about the nonfiction material. But um, I felt a sense of urgency. Not only did I have a contract to, to fulfill, but also, you know, I am sufficiently worried about real-life fiscal collapse that I felt I had to get the book written before it actually happened. Why? As in, the reason is in why that concern now in 2016? Because we've We've been in this position so many times, and for whatever reason. We have never been in, well, aside from what happened in 2008, which is a dodged bullet as far as I'm concerned. And a bunch of Band-Aids. Uh, we have not been through this before because we have never had that situation where we're, we're all so interrelated. It used to be that countries were much more discreet and Banks belong to nations, and uh, we didn't trade each other's currencies all the time. Uh, we didn't have big international companies that sold their products all over the globe. This is a new situation, and the more complex a system is, the more uh, fragile it is. You've always dabbled in the speculative fiction, and I'm curious whether you enjoy the kind of future prognostications that we see? This is the first time that I've ever um, undertaken this form. I thought it was enormous amounts of fun. I, I, I just, I had a ball. And I, I think I enjoyed writing this book more than I have, have done since uh, probably we need to talk about Kevin. So uh, that, I obviously write, enjoy writing evil, terrible things. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, what I liked about it is the playfulness. I like the playfulness, and I like the fact that um, that it was possible to just throw in things for fun, little asides, small details. You know, toward the end of the book, there's a reference to a major 
of U.S. Uh, military invasion of New Zealand, which I find intrinsically comic. It's it's a throwaway line, um, and you either get it or you don't. And that's that was one of the that was one of the great fun things about this book is that I just tossed in a bunch of stuff and the reader either picks up on it or they don't and that's fine. Um, and I, I, I enjoyed making, making up my own lingo, you know, my own slang. Uh, though I was interested in how hard that was. You know, I'd go on this urbandictionary.com and I'd throw in <laughs> um, this, that, and the other idea, the completely invented would... word, and somebody else would have beaten me to it. I mean, it's amazing how just co collections of letters. That, collections of noises. That, yeah, little noises that they're only certain kind of credible constructions of letters that you can come up with in English and and they're they're all out there and they somebody usually, somebody's and, already used them and they usually mean something dirty as well yeah yeah they use, <laughs> is it really you have something to do with bodily function absolutely uh, before I let you go though uh, a story about Kevin uh, I remember I loved the book and I remember buying it for my mom and, and, and I let her read it and of course after that we were having this conversation and I've had this conversation with a lot of my friends who are mothers as well and it's interesting how that book brings out truths and mm. confessions because even my mom was like you know yeah I did not have that moment where I immediately saw you and went and went I am in love with this thing forever right. I had to grow and to love you and that's the cliche yeah. and and I think that book did more to bring out that conversation than anything else I think it was your book and it was that article in the New York Times by Ayelet Waldman when, when, when she wrote about uh, Michael Shabar and how she said she loved her husband more than she loved her kids. Oh, right. I remember that. Yeah. And, of right. course, the crazy outrage for that as well. And, and no, we've become very sentimental about children. Totally. And, uh, no, I just wanted to say thank you for that because I think people are having a lot more honest conversations about childbirth and just this general idea of, you know, looking upon this baby and thinking you are my world. Well, I mean, that, that's what I was trying to challenge is that we, we are tyrannized by cliches and we feel we have to live up to them. So when you do have a baby, the, 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 um, the protocol, in the West anyway, is that you're overcome with this, this love. You fall in love with your child and, and the baby is put on your breasts and, and you have this sense, this emotion that's overwhelming and it's never happened to you before. And you discover a whole side of yourself, and, and and nothing else matters. And nothing else matters. And and you know, in my book, the baby is delivered and put on her chest and feels absolutely nothing. And I have heard from other mothers who who went through the same thing. I I I had not interviewed anyone who told me that, but I presuppose that all is possible under the sun, and that people's uh, real experience is vastly more various than. Um, the stereotypes that we impose on it, and uh, and surely it is possible to go through childbirth and to have no feelings for your baby. There was that line. It was probably my favorite line about not being able to get into the same kind of clothes. And I was like, yes, I'm sure people have that thought before deciding whether to get pregnant or not. It's a thought that a so, young person well, would have. Well, it's a huge demand on your baby. Uh, oh, sorry, it's a huge demand on your body. And um, maybe it is a demand on the baby, too. It is. But, um, but and, no one will say that out loud. And it, uh, you're being asked to make a sacrifice. Your body may never be the same again. And uh, that's a sacrifice on, on, the, on behalf of, of someone else. And you're supposed to make it cheerfully. 
and I can imagine not being that cheerful about it. Lionel, thank you so much. My pleasure. That was Lionel Shriver. You can find her novel, The Mandibles, at all good bookstores. You've been listening to Bookmark, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.